Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, episode 48, and today we are diving into the tough stuff. Yep, meaning that we are back with another hard-hitting financial-themed episode for all things nonprofits and organizational budgeting and money management, which really, as we dive into this conversation, is a lot about ethical spending. And also how to stay audit ready, which if you've ever been audited as a person, as a business, as an organization, you probably like hear that word and your palms sweat a little bit and it just makes you so nervous. But the great part is thanks to today's guest and this super, super heavy, like really information dense episode, it's probably one of the most like information dense episodes that we've had because it is just like nugget of wisdom after nugget of wisdom after just like so much goodness about financial accounting and nonprofit accounting and how to just stay on top of an audit and make sure that you're going to get ahead of any kind of financial complication that your organization could get in front of all thanks to our guest Germaine Guillaume. She is the, I suppose, founder and president of Visionary Accountants. She, um, and you'll hear, she has such a rich history and tons of qualifications. And she's just such, like, she's one of those people that I really appreciate that are so smart, but explain things really great in layman's terms. Like anyone can understand this. And I think that's a big thing when it comes to talking about money at any level is that it always sounds confusing. It feels confusing. It feels like you're speaking another language. And she really just makes you feel like that's not happening. She makes everything sound exactly the way anyone can just walk in and start their organization and know exactly what she's talking about, which is one of the things I really appreciate her, appreciate about her. And honestly, you will too when you finish listening to this conversation. So... And once you're done with the episode, make sure that you listen all the way until the end because we also have our second nonprofit spotlight of the week waiting for you after this very impactful interview. So so without further ado, Jermaine, can you please introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit more about you and some of your great accounting background? Thanks for having me. So um, my name is Jermaine, like you already said, um, and I run a boutique um, accounting firm that specializes in nonprofits. And so what we do is we help nonprofits to migrate to uh, cloud accounting software. And then we also help them to manage and streamline the day-to-day accounting operations. And so um, I've been doing this for some time now, and I honestly got thrusted kind of into the accounting space. Um, My background, um, I have a bachelor's in accounting and a master's in forensic accounting, but I spent most of my career in the audit space, actually um, working for one of the big fours. And then I went um, internal working for a Canadian bank. 
doing a little bit of anti-money laundering work. And so um, some really interesting stuff there um, before I had my daughter. And so when I had my daughter, I took some time from corporate. And then it just so happened that there was a nonprofit in New York that lost their CFO and then their controller right after. And they were looking for someone pretty much to sit in the role like immediately until they found a full-time hire. And it's like, I never looked back from there. And so um, very fulfilling work. Um, I kept, I pretty much stayed in this space just because I saw how the work that we were doing in the fiscal department contributed to the whole and the impact that the organization was having in the community versus kind of going back to corporate where you're kind of out of touch, right? And so I was looking for more meaning in what I was doing in my day-to-day work. And I definitely found that uh, by moving to the, the nonprofit industry. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever known anyone who's done very specific like forensics and money and money laundering. <laughs> so this is really exciting for me. I knew obviously that you did very specific like accounting work with nonprofits, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I've never heard of that before. So that's super cool. Um, let, I just want to kind of talk about though, like, you know, you said you got a little thrusted into this. How did you decide when making this like boutique focus you know, how did you make your focus to be helping nonprofits go to cloud-based software? Because I feel like that's really your jam with this whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, it is. And some might say that it's because I'm a millennial, right? <laughs> um, but honestly, it was through my own personal frustration mm-hmm. of working in an organization that had this really expensive accounting software. It was the desktop server version, but it was so inefficient. And don't get me wrong, the software itself is, wasn't what was inefficient, but when you add the software plus um, not having like clear roles and responsibilities, uh, streamlined and clear process that we're following consistently, mm-hmm. it makes for a very messy <laughs> accounting process. But then also you can't, it was very hard to work from home if you were even allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, what I experienced is that if people did work from home, it was like a whole thing to get IT, to have them set up, to remote in and all of these things. And um, I realized back then that we were trending towards being more tech forward, um, mm-hmm. just as a society, and that if nonprofits were hesitant to that change or chose not to move forward with that, they were going to be left behind. And so fast forward, of course, to the pandemic, I had many potential clients reaching out to me who hadn't, who didn't have access to their desktop software because it's some, it wasn't something that they had a part of their like continuity plan. So when people had to work home, you know, and work from home immediately because of these stay at home orders, there were, there was a lot of panic. And I think that, um, that then accelerated us to this point where it's like, okay, now it's less of an option and more of a necessity because one, people are working from home. And I think that we have um, now gotten into a space where there's a new normal and there's going to be a new expectation from the talent as to what we expect from our employers, right? And so, you know, not meaning one of those things being like not having to jump through hoops if you did want to work from home, but then also some people might just want to be remote workers, like period. And so um, I think acknowledging that, but then also understanding that with nonprofits, right, there tends to be that um, piece of being cash strapped using cloud accounting software opens up the doors to a lot of time and cost savings. And so I think that that's also one of the reasons why I'm so gung-ho it because a lot of times you have to do a lot with a little, right? And so I'm like, where can we cut or where can we make things better and have greater efficiencies 
that support, you know, the organization's efforts. And this is definitely one of those things. Mm -hmm. I think what you just said was like the epitome of the business half of a nonprofit, which is doing a lot of things with a lot of Less. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, that's like everything about how we operate is like, how can I do this much stuff with like this much money or resources? You gotta be pretty creative. (laughs) Really thrifty, which is hard. So, you started Visionary Accountants. Can you kind of talk about a little bit what it was also like setting up that whole like boutique firm on your own? And second, um, you know, did it really just utterly like boom through the pandemic? Because, like you said, people all of a sudden in like one second had to mm-hmm. be working from home and now were screwed if they needed their special desktop, you know, in the office. Right. So, I'm assuming you kind of, yeah, blew up this year. So, um, so honestly, I had always been doing uh, taxes and, mm-hmm. and small bookkeeping jobs on the side. Um, I think it was always just assumed that because I had the accountant title or degree that like, oh, I know taxes and bookkeeping. And so I would have people coming to me. And so I had always kind of been doing that on the side. Um, but it wasn't until um, when I had my daughter that I went full time. But also that first experience of taking on the interim controller role, that solidified that the focus would be um, nonprofit accounting. Because mm-hmm. up until then, I was kind of working with whoever, you know, came my way, like whether it was a small business, entrepreneurs, um, or nonprofits. And I was also doing accounting, bookkeeping, and tax. Um, And so it wasn't until I actually had that interim role where I decided, okay, this is where I want to focus. There's a need here. And so I dropped the tax, um, dropped the tax piece, and I decided to zone specifically in on what the needs of these nonprofit organizations were. Um, Now, when the pandemic happened, um, we didn't necessarily boom, but we definitely saw a pretty good increase in um, interest. I think uh, what's still happening, which is why a lot of what we're focusing on this year is education, is that there's still a lot of hesitancy about moving to the cloud. And and working remotely or virtually. And so um, I see this mostly in this space though, which is, it's odd, but I get it, right? And Mm -hmm. so I think because um, people are used to coming into an office, you know, executive directors wanna be able to kind of walk down the hall to the fiscal department. Sometimes they can't can't visualize what that would look like um, virtually. Mm -hmm. And so I'm finding that I'm having to do a lot of educating on what, you know, either outsourcing your accounting would look like, or if they're looking for more of a partnership, what that could look like without us having to actually be there. And I think that's the thing. It's like, it's almost like baffling to, um, to them about how could you actually do this work if you're not coming in? And so that's why I think it's important to make sure as it relates to cloud technology and the different tools and resources that we now have at our fingertips, how we're now able to do this work virtually, which um, as a result does save the organization time and money. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, it's a huge mindset shift in general, which I mean, obviously a pandemic was a mindset shift, but I think, I think money is, you know, just like in general, I think the way people think about money period, like in their personal lives, like for their Mm -hmm. own retirement and then their businesses now nonprofits, like there's a lot of, I think, money behaviors and mindsets that we still have to undo. And one of them being that you should be like right down the hall for like any question. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's well, it's like hard. they want to watch you. I don't know. There's this notion that if you're mm-hmm. working from home, like you're not really working. Mm. Right. So is that frustrating? 
It is because I'm one that I really don't like micromanagement and I'm right. from the the space. Like if you hire someone, you don't trust them to do the work, whether it's in office or from home, then maybe that's a bad hire, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, that, and at the end of the day too, like if stuff's getting done, stuff's getting, you know, like deadlines Who are being met. Like, it's so <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. I totally get that. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, okay. So you've talked about how cloud technology for the accounting software is really great just in, I think, like ease of use that you can be like remote. You can also have a slightly larger team working on things, but you also mentioned that you can build better like fiscal capacity by using the software. So tell us about that because cloud software, you know, we understand how it sounds a little bit easier. It also sounds a little like hipper and younger, you know, like it's probably like not the software that, yeah, your parents use kind of a thing, but how can it help us like build financial capacity. So you actually hit the nail on the head with the whole idea of it being like this quote unquote hipper. And I think that's why I made the joke (laughs) about um, the whole millennial thing, because I've literally had like executive directors say like this remote stuff is like new, like you millennials want to work from home. Like, (laughs) and so, um, so when I think the thing is like capacity is such a common term used in the nonprofit space. And I like to always approach it from the fiscal perspective because one, it's one of those back end processes that is not often talked about. Um, and it's one that often doesn't get a lot of attention, but it's super important. Like you, you create a nonprofit, not necessarily with the idea of making money, but if you don't bring any money, it's going to be very hard to achieve your mission and it's going to be very difficult to have any kind of impact. And so we still have to make the money an an important piece. When I mentioned fiscal capacity, I've yet to work with an organization who didn't feel strapped or short-staffed as it related to managing their accounting. And so when I talk about fiscal capacity and how accounting software can help with that, there's a lot of work right now being done very manually, right? There's a lot of uh, redundant processes and moving over to the cloud can eliminate a lot of that. So sometimes while you may be thinking that you need a new hire, you might just need a new process, right? You might just need better software. And so I talk about, you know, breaking down to rebuild and kind of determining what process would best support the work that your organization does And are you really short staffed? Do you really need an additional person, right? Or is it that you really need to rebuild your process so that it supports the current operations of your organization? And what I find is that's it. I mean, I worked in an organization. I mean, we were like 10 people deep in the fiscal department and they were still wanting to hire. And I'm like, there's no way, like we have enough people. The problem is that we don't have clarity in everyone's role, how it fits into the bigger picture. We don't have software that we're maximizing and we don't, you know, we need to rebuild what this looks like. And so I think like, it's a fix to keep hiring or it's an easy fix to think that, you know, we need to get more money from the funder to expand the fiscal department. Sometimes it really is an internal issue that we need to address. Mm -hmm. Well, and isn't it kind of shocking though? And I think this applies anywhere in, well, particularly in our work, but like the second you think you need more hands, but all you really need is just like a revamp of a certain process or how you're doing something. Like, isn't that kind of wild? It's like really lifting a certain veil for people, mm-hmm. especially when, again, when it comes to money, like we tend to have very rigid mindsets that like feel so terrifying. I actually heard yes. a stat just 
yesterday I was listening to a podcast that said our, um, our money beliefs and our money mindset is actually solidified by eight years old. I believe it. I absolutely believe it. Yeah. That's a lot of rewiring that you have to do to be like, right, oh. Because you take those yeah. personal beliefs even to your, your day-to-day job. And so mm-hmm. depending on what you believe, of course, that's going to play in how you actually like show up to work, the mm-hmm. things that you actually say yes to, you know, so I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's wild. So kind of switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about uh, what I think is also a little bit of your sweet spot because you've done this from both <laughs> sides and it sounds terrifying, but it's <laughs> right? Like that sounds like a scary, scary word. <laughs> First of all, is it scary? Like if you get the notice that you're being audited, like, is it ter- like, I think there's a part that it's terrifying, but I think there's also this part where people just automatically assume that they did something wrong. Right. And that's the, where it's, that's the inconsistency, I think, in understanding what, what it really means. So naturally, whenever you're audited, it's usually not because you've done something wrong. So we have a couple of different things here. So one, certain organizations, when you hit a certain threshold in your state, it's just required. And it really is, you can look at it like um, a check to make sure that you're actually doing what you say you're doing, right? And you're actually spending the money where you say you're spending it, right? But then you also have for organizations that may be managing certain funds, government contracts and things of that nature, you know, those funders can also come in and, you know, and audit you. But it's the same thing. It's like, I gave you $100,000. It was supposed to be for the shelter project, you know, can you prove to me, show me that this is where you spent that money? Same with the IRS. If, they, if you ever got audited by IRS, even personally, it usually is random. It's very rare that it was because they saw a red flag, right? Mm. And then even in the nonprofit space, some organizations choose to be audited because they think that it makes them look better, especially mm. as they go for certain like grants and things of that nature. And so it's not scary, but it could be. And I think where the could be comes in is if you don't have a process for how you're managing your finances, because what an audit is going to do is shed light on those things, those inefficiencies, those errors. And so I find that if you have pretty good day-to-day operations, you know, you're really good at your record keeping. Usually when you get an audit, you're not stressed. You're not overwhelmed or worried because you know pretty much that you know, you got it in the bag. But those who tend to be stressed or worried, it's usually because they know that there's some kind of chaos happening mm. and that they're probably not doing good record keeping and things of that nature. And so there's this uh, worry about what's going to happen because I've actually worked at an organization where when the audit was delayed, funding stopped because they absolutely wanted to see like what the auditor's report, you know, came back with. And then I've seen it where, you know, if it wasn't well, you know, contracts weren't renewed. And so it definitely is important. And I think it just shines a light even more as to why you have to make sure that you set a good financial foundation and that you have someone who is accountable and responsible for that fiscal function. I think too often we're just letting people who don't really have a background or understanding in nonprofit accounting specifically manage the accounting. And that's where a lot of those hiccups come. And I say that specifically because, you know, sometimes I see it's a volunteer or it's a general bookkeeper, but nonprofit accounting is actually a lot more complex than normal accounting. And so you need to know what you're doing because it's very easy to make a mess. Right. Which, yeah, I think is probably where some of that anxiety comes from because it just is like this 
automatic thing of like, it is a mess. It is really hard. I probably did something wrong. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Okay. So I want to know from an auditor's perspective, and I use all these episodes to pick on operational loan because it's my organization. (laughs) So I, I can let's say, so we're very, um, from a financial perspective, like we are pretty small potatoes. Like if you compare this to like a red cross, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who I'm sure needs like a whole building of accountants. Right. I was about to say, I know they have a whole internal team. (laughs) Right. And they should, they're massive, but like, you know, so we're pretty small in that regard, but if you were like an auditor coming in for us, like, can you just walk us through what that process would be like? Where would you start? What exactly would you be looking for going through? Because again, it really is just making sure like the money is going where we say that it's going, right? Mm-hmm. So usually some of the things that from an audit standpoint that get uh, requested are like your bank statements for the prior year, for whatever year we're so let's just assume we're being audited for 2020. So we want to see your bank statements. I want to see that you've been reconciling those bank statements monthly, because that also lets me know that you're kind of looking to make sure that there are no errors, money isn't missing, you know, things mm-hmm. aren't happening in the account. Um, I also want to see your general, general ledger in your trial balance. So I can see what's happening more so on a day to day, what kind of expenses are you having? You know, what are your funding sources? And then um, um, when we get into the nitty gritty, I want to know what funding is restricted, what funding is non-restricted. And then for that funding that's restricted, a lot of times they'll dig a little bit deeper into that to determine what were the requirements around that funding. And then usually you have to show support to say, you know, to back up that this is where that was spent. And then usually there's like a, um, a sample selection taken from the uh the general ledger that where they might pick a certain number of expenses and then you act, have to actually show like cancel checks or receipts to nice. show that you know it was a reasonable expense or it was an actual expense for your organization right because we're also trying to rule out that there is no fraud or misappropriation of assets happening but that's the that's the gist um the gist of it and then also depending on how complex your organization can be um like if you're owning uh actual assets, um, real estate, like maybe getting even into um, the depreciation of those things, um, certain account, certain accounting standards that you should have implemented, right? And so um, depending on how complex the accounting is, it can get a little bit deeper, but for the most part, it really is like a check and just saying, okay, okay this is what you said it was. And then of course, um, now I don't want to forget to mention this is like, um, the whole idea of like nonprofit accounting is making sure that uh, also that you're spending in the right buckets, so to speak. So those functional expenses. So you have admin fundraising and programs. And so usually that also is something that is um, requested by the auditors to see where, you know, and this is really important or really, I think, helpful to the organization because, you know, we talk about how admin and overhead expenses usually um are are significant but we don't get enough funding for those so a lot of times when you have the auditors come in and they're running these um they're running confirming right these amount in this statement it also speaks to the fact that yes these are true expenses and then when you're then turning around and going after additional funding or grants and things of that nature you can actually show and prove that like this is this is what's happening this is what it takes to run this organization and this is what we need from you Mm -hmm. so Two important follow-ups to that. Number one, I just want to clarify for some of our listeners, when you say restricted funding, that does that usually come from like 
so, uh, sometimes general grants and then usually government grants where it's like, here is, and I think you mentioned this earlier, like here's a hundred thousand dollars for this shelter project. So it's making sure that like those are restricted to that project. Is that what you yes. mean? Okay. Yes. So restricted funds, meaning that the donor or the funder has given this money to the organization, but they've been very clear in their instruction as to what that funding can be used for. So mm -hmm. you can only use it for what it was the donor or the funder designated it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'll also just kind of chime in there this year for operational loan. And I mean, literally like just two months ago in January, we got our first like approved grant with restricted funding. And it was for, um, it was from the 100 women who care um, chapter for Northern Door County. And so the money that we got, like I did promise is like, we will only use this money for veterans schools or, uh, you know, whatever programs we're doing like mm -hmm. in the Door County area. So I've had to like start like a whole new different like ledger of like tallying down almost like all those like things. Yeah. Because exactly the for is that. Yeah. Because they cannot ask, but they, but then they also could ask. Right. And so right. I think that's why I talk about staying audit ready because it's one of those things where outside of the, let's just say if you're required to be audited annually, that's one thing, you know, that that audit is going to come around once mm -hmm. a year. But usually with the funding funder audits, you, they're sporadic, they're ad hoc. You usually don't know. It literally is one of those things like you mentioned, you come into work, you sit at your computer and you have an email saying, you know, we're going to be coming in to audit mm -hmm. you for X period for this grant. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the, I, I've worked with multiple organizations now and I can't tell you, I feel like then feeling never gets old from them getting those emails and it's like, oh my God, like, are, do we have everything that we need? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and sometimes even if you, you do know that it's, um, that, you know, you have pretty good record keeping, I think there's still this just stigma with being audited that it's like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to be found out or something like that. And so mm -hmm. again, I just think it's super important to be prepared because then it just, it causes less anxiety and overwhelm. Yeah. And honestly, like I would rather get to like the end of the year and maybe have like, again, like if 100 women who care, like never come back and say like, Hey, can you show us the report of all like the, the money you spent in Dorcan? I would rather have like done that work all year and kept tabs and then have them never ask and kind of think like, Oh, well, it was like a little waste of my time to do, mm -hmm. but feel secure that like, if I needed to hand it over any day that like I mm -hmm. could just hand over. So that's totally fair. And the second thing I, I wanted for you was, um, you know, we're talking about this and, and being audit ready and really the fact that an, I think the root of an audit and where, again, it makes people nervous is that it really is kind of an ethics check. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that because there's this notion, which is technically true, right? Nonprofits are created technically to, to serve uh, the public interest, right? There's mm -hmm. usually some, a mission or a cause that the nonprofit was created to serve. And so an audit really is kind of like a check to say, are you really doing that? You mm -hmm. know? And so I think sometimes um, maybe that causes the anxiety, but I absolutely agree that in that that's technically where that ethics piece come in, because it's like, you said this, but let, let's back that up. Like, how can I see that this is actually what you did do? And so that's why I say like, cross your, what the hell, you dot your I's, cross your T's, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> just make sure because I'm t like, I've seen organizations lose funding and contracts. And a lot of times it, it had nothing to do with misappropriation of assets. It just strictly was like too messy, you know, mm -hmm. as far as their books where they just couldn't pull it together to actually support the spending of the organization, honestly. 
Yeah. Well, and honestly, so I want to ask you two controversial questions. So (laughs) this is like my new favorite part, Um, because these are things that I have been thinking about and like really sitting on for a long time. More I've like solidified these series in the last couple of months as I've continued to get really heated about like nonprofit overhead, which is the episode I just put out this week. And like the, the way that the public like treats overhead or looks at overhead, looks at nonprofit salaries, because I think that the way that we do it and think about it is really antiquated, really outdated. Absolutely. And, yeah. And two of my, I think, proposed solutions (laughs) to change the entire nonprofit sector, which is really uh, a dramatic goal of mine. Number one, I just want to know your thoughts. I literally have never shared these with people before. I just want your thoughts. Number one, I've always thought like at the end of the year, because you're also correct that like, you know, a nonprofit, it also, I don't think people really understand this. Like nonprofits aren't owned by anyone. Like they are Mm -hmm. technically- No owner. Yeah. There's no owner. Like they're run by the board of directors, but no one owns it like no you know so like they are public entities that's why they're they're tax exempt like and so it's one of the reasons why like they turn their financials um and their taxes out every year and that's where people like look at the taxes and the tax forms and they like make they look at those numbers and they kind of make a lot of their own judgments their own preconceived notions over what the those certain lines all mean and they never tell the whole story so i always thought it would maybe be more effective to have like an ethical spending report out instead of like just watching the tax because the taxes because you also can phrase things like so differently or like if you mm-hmm. phrase something in your nonprofit as like this but technically if the tax code classifies it as this like now it's like yep. you have to really explain like a story that's going on there i don't really know what that would look like but would that help some of the the weird garbage that happens with when people look at nonprofit taxes so when you say an ethics report what would that be inclusive of I literally don't know. It would, it would be something. <laughs> I know. I've never. I haven't made it yet. Which is something that was more like okay. Instead of, in my head, and I don't know what it would look like, but it would instead of you know maybe having this like one overhead line of mm-hmm. salaries. I almost think it would be this like ethical like you know, almost like the weird justification, like this salary is happening because like they return this much like ROI for the organization. And so, because, you know, people like to look at certain salaries and always like throw a fit over them. And it was almost like this, like, well, this salary is, is going out because this was everything that was being put in. Does that make sense? I don't know what it would. No, that makes absolute sense. And my thoughts on that is, is two things. So I totally agree that it it doesn't tell the full story, but I also think that, I think that funders have contributed to this notion that the public has of overhead, right? And so I think it's also up to us and said funders to also educate better on what it really takes to run a nonprofit. I I think part of the reason is that people hear nonprofit and they think scarcity, they think poor, they think um, no money and, and like, and help me. Right. And so I always come from the space of nonprofit and burnout literally like is always associated. Right. (laughs) You always hear about people feel like when they work for an organization, Oh, I don't, you don't get paid enough, you know, but you're overworked. 
there needs to be more discussion about what it takes to actually run an organization because nonprofit doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't make a profit. It just means that there is no, there are no owners. And so that profit, so to speak, doesn't go into the pocket of anyone, but it goes back into the organization, right? And so this notion that, you know, the executive director or leadership or whoever's salaries they're looking at should be much smaller is absurd. It's mm -hmm. a lot of work. And so I, I do agree that there's something needs to change in the reporting. I'm not sure what, because I, I get the fact that there has to be this level of transparency because mm -hmm. nonprofits are funded, right, by the public. But there also needs to be something, and maybe it could be this ethics report that you <laughs> talked about, that speaks to a lot more as to what these organizations do in the community, but then what that takes on the back end. And that's why I talk about like HR, fiscal uh, development, like these non-sexy, you know, um, departments who keep the engine running. People need to know more about what they do because right. that's, how, that's the only way and the only reason that these nonprofits are even able to thrive. So you think an executive director is going to run a $20 million, let's just say, organization, and they making pennies? No. Like, and how right. do you expect them? Like, I think the fact that you expect them is even worse. And then it's like this, you feel entitled to the services that these organizations, you know, provide, but then you don't want the people to be, to be paid. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> it honestly doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. And this is where I get like super heated on it. But yeah, and again, I, I don't know. And maybe it's like this like ethical spending report that has to like, you know, when when you look up a nonprofit's taxes, like maybe you just get both documents now. So like one is you get, you, mm, mm -hmm. you know what it is. And then the ethics part of it is like, okay, almost like the explanation you know, why, or just, or just helping to tell more of that, like full of the story. story, like, you know, for, for example, this year, like, or not this year, last year, you know, we opened up like two new services in light of the pandemic, like that changed a lot of our weird, mm -hmm. you know, like funding. Cause now things were like going different places. We had different like stuff. Cause we made two new services out of thin air. Right. And now this year, like, because we're everyone's getting vaccinated we're coming out of the pandemic and the other thing too like we did a different one where i had a, i ended up turning in like voluntarily two different financial reports to that same grant i was talking about earlier for 100 women who care um because it needed explanation it looked weird it was like our our in-kind uh donations look like they mm -hmm skyrocketed and like dominated most of our stuff because we got the Google ad grant for ten thousand dollars a month for okay. Google ads so I was like well here's one report of what I'm literally telling you and what we get in income donations. And I was like, but that's such like a large, it skewed everything so much. And I was like, let me also show you a different one. Where it's like in a different light that explains it better. You know what I mean? Cause it was just like, that's such no, a large amount. It skewed mean. it mm -hmm. fast. Yeah. So yeah. Where explanation definitely is important. And I also think that there also needs to be some, some grace Mm, for mm -hmm. for this past year also because yeah. I've, had, I've seen like some executive directors telling me about some of the requests that are being made of them and I'm like we literally were just in a pandemic like <laughs> what do you think people were doing this last year and so yeah. you know I think we have to be reasonable um and and understanding because people run the organization you know it isn't a robot and so you know we we have but but I completely agree with you to the part about explanation because I think for a lot a lot of people what I, I forgot who I was having this conversation with but there was a, a significant increase in the demand of services from nonprofits um, due to the pandemic right and so a lot of people who were losing their jobs and so of course you know in need and so you know 
some of those numbers, as far as maybe like funding given and things like that may be severely skewed for 2020. But then as we're, let's say, coming off the pandemic, you might see things start to significantly change. So there definitely has to be context to yeah. the numbers. And that's why I think um, for organizations who have to be audited, it's a little bit different because if someone gets the audit report, there are notes to the financial statements that kind of explain things, right? But if you aren't being audited, then yeah, a lot of times like there's no context around what those numbers actually represent. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is that also maybe part of the reason why some organizations like choose to be audited? Because it yeah, gets those like so. notes with it. Okay. So yeah, my- definitely. Yeah, my second controversial question is on all this note, and to your point, like it's hard because, you know, the public does have access to our financial information, our taxes, because we're funded by the public. Mm -hmm. However, I think where a lot of like the controversy and people, you know, raising weird hell when they like don't really have the right to is when like you know nothing about like a certain organization and you're just like finding things. I feel like there's some information that can be, I think, like, not necessarily given, like, in those public reports, but given to, like, your annual report when you give them to your donors and your volunteers and anyone Mm. in the organization. What do you think about that? But I guess it would, the question would be, my question would then be what kind of information? Like, yeah. do you think is more so, because I, I, I definitely can see some information being important to those who've donated mm-hmm. versus just a random person who will never give you money anyway. Um, right. <laughs> yes. Well, and um, I still can, yeah, I'm still stuck on the idea of like, again, salaries and things like that. Because I'm like, that that is important. And I do think like someone who's donates $100,000 to your organization does have the right to like the very full transparency of that, but like mm-hmm. not necessarily. Yeah. Like, like for me, I don't know, like Joe Schmo living in like Arizona, who's never right. going to care about anything that I do. Like you don't need all that. You know what I mean? But like the people who, who do contribute and not even just donors, you know, like certain volunteers, like people apart. Right. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of like that, that nonprofit's village really. So the people who yeah. support it, um, whether it be, you know, through work, actual boots on the ground or financially. I do think there's a case. I, I do think okay. there's a case for that. Um, and, and that's why I do draw um, the difference between like financial statements and then like management reports. So some mm-hmm. organizations will have specific financial detailed reports that are not public that may speak to more so like numbers department wise or program wise that necessarily isn't um, public knowledge, but like funders may need or your board may want to see. Um, But yeah, but I, I think it would take kind of trying to draw the line between what needs to be public and what can be kept, not personal, but to that, that kind of circle of people who actually support the organization and care about those numbers because it affects their giving, you know? Yeah. I kind of like the phrase that you used, uh, I think in the beginning of that, like the nonprofit village, like the village of people who Mm -hmm, make up mm -hmm. everything about the mission and like executing it. Yeah. I just, I've always kind of thought maybe there would be a solution somewhere in there. And I'm not saying that any of this is a perfect solution. I'm saying, I think there's always something in there that maybe could just help again, kind of fight against some of like the weird stigmas that we get for, you know, nonprofit overhead, nonprofit salaries. Um, it's not perfect yet. I'm still just scribbling. Right. <laughs> also for audience members, like I didn't send her these questions ahead of time. <laughs> we were on the spot, just like 
curiosity. So, um, you know, I appreciate you talking to me about that because you obviously have a very different perspective than I do. So I think, yes, spitballing some of these ideas are very helpful <laughs> with other people. Oh my gosh. Oh, this has been so helpful. I feel like this was a very content dense and thick like yes I, en- yes I enjoy talking with you <laughs> thank you I if you have time I want to ask you just one more question that I think mm-hmm. is important and I think is really on par for this audience specifically um, okay running a business working your nonprofit or just simply making an impact takes a lot of energy which means you need the drink of champions coffee Specifically, you need Door County Coffee, a gourmet coffee roastery on a mission to bring you the best coffee on the planet. And that isn't hard when they only roast the top 2% of Arabica beans grown in the entire world. Try any of their medium or dark roasts, like my personal favorite, the Heroes Blend. Or you can try one of their almost 100 delicious flavors like Highlander Grog, Frosted Cinnamon Buns, or Vanilla Creme Brulee. They ship all across the country, so try your first pot today by going to DoorCountyCoffee.com and using the code IMPACT for 15% off your order. That's I-M-P-A-C-T for 15% off at DoorCountyCoffee.com. And get caffeinated today. We have, you know, a lot of people in our little, like, make an impact world are, um, usually very like young in their nonprofit journeys or nonprofit careers. And it's a lot of people who are um, either wanting to start their own organizations or in the very infancy of starting something. So to those people specifically, Mm -hmm. what would be your best advice to, um, you know, just like from a financial and an accounting perspective, like how can those people start like their, you know, all of their accounting, their bookkeeping, how they're doing mm-hmm. stuff, like how do they start that off on the right foot so that they're not like five years in and then it's like, oh no, this is a hot mess. <laughs> I have to like fix it. So if you are just starting an organization, most times you are going to be all things to your organization, right? And so at that point, there really is no funding to like hire. Usually whatever funding you're getting is going right back into the organization. And so one of the, honestly, the the basics, one would be to implement an accounting tool. Like two, it is 2021. There is no reason why we are still jotting down things in Excel. Um, And so, (laughs) um, and what, and kind of like what I was talking about earlier about fiscal capacity is that technology has come such a long way in, in, you know, artificial intelligence and things like that, that so much of what you need to be doing on a day-to-day basis can be automated. And so I would suggest getting a tool. And if you're just getting started, I mean, QuickBooks Online is like, it's cost efficient. You know, you can get a tool like that. You just want to make sure that you are tracking what's coming in what's going out and you are heeding to the compliance rules about the, the, the appropriate tax forms that you need to be um, filing depending on whatever your gross receipts are for the year. Because the worst thing you wanna do is be out of compliance and then lose like your, your certification. And so, um, so really, um, honestly, that, that's my, my, my advice for just getting started. Like get you an accounting tool, get it set up properly, 
and I would say to pick a cadence that you're comfortable with, but no more than a month. Like at the very least, it should be monthly that you're checking in with your finances and you're making sure that you're reviewing your bank statements. Um, please make sure that, of course, that the organization has its own bank statement, um, bank account. <laughs> um, yeah, number one, get your own bank account. Right. Um, because two, you link that to the software, right? And so we definitely don't want your personal transactions coming through. So, um, so get you a bank account, get you some accounting software. And at the very least monthly, you need to be diving into your numbers. And really all that could look like is what money came in? Who did it come from? Was it restricted or not? And then where did you spend um your money for the month, you know, was it specific to programs? Was it admin or overhead? Just being very clear on that. And it, cause that also makes filing your 990 tax return much easier. So. Mm-hmm. For sure. So two follow-up questions and then I'm going okay. to, I'm going to finally like release you from this. That's okay. <laughs> so number one, so, okay. So really, I think the key for nonprofit, um, especially at the end of the month, the end of the year, would you, would you agree with me or am I totally off base when I say like, I think the most important like reconciling metric is that you know exactly like by the end of the month, exactly what money came in, what money go out, is going out and are they like all matching up, right? Like you're not, like you're not putting out way more than you're getting in. Well, see, that's why you have to do the review, right? Because right. you may find like, oh shoot, like we're putting a lot more money out. And at that point mm-hmm. you you're going to want to ask yourself, okay, what, what programs, let's just say, am I running? And um, is, is, is this breaking the bank for our organization? Is, and two, is this something that the program needs, that the organization needs to continue to do, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at the, the funding and you realize that you're putting more money out than you're getting in, then it starts, it's time to dive into the, the metrics of that program. You know, who was it meant to serve? Are you, act, is that program actually meeting the goals that was set for it? Because a lot of times what I find is that you have historic programs and things that we've always done. And then it's like, but it's, it's, it's draining your, your nonprofit. And then mm-hmm. not as not people are, aren't being impacted. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think it's important. And that's why it's important. You, that was a really good point. That's why it's important to actually look at the numbers because you need to determine Mm-hmm. whether or not you are putting out more than you're getting in because the hope is that you have a little something left over so that you can you know either create um a reserve right so you know something that you could tap in you know when times got hard or having that left over so that you can then invest back into the organization because without if you don't grow you'll be the only because sometimes let's face it like you're not even an employee yet right you might just be um doing this because you love the mission but but eventually you need to get paid for your hard work i'm, I'm a firm believer in that and so mm-hmm. when i talk to people and it's like oh, i've been running this organization for 10 15 years and and there's like no salary or nothing i'm just like what's happening here <laughs> like <laughs> you know and so i i i believe nonprofit work is hard work mm-hmm. and heart work but I absolutely believe due to the nature of the work, you really should be compensated and you should be compensated reasonably, right? And so we know that you might not be, you know, you might not be able to compare it to a for-profit, you know, and what they might be paying their president or, or CEO, but you should definitely be getting paid something that is reasonable and that the organization can afford. Mm-hmm. You also sound like everyone I've talked to in the last like year. <laughs> I talk about operation alone and I'm like, everyone's still rocking this like very uncompensated like life for eight years. And it's like, how has that happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh because my in my mind, then that means that you have to keep a job, right? And so yeah. is this more of a passion project 
or is this something that you're really trying to grow into an actual, you know, organization, you know, some, a living, breathing organization outside of yourself. Right. And so, and that's where I talk about like comparing it to a business where it's like, is this just something that you're doing just because you enjoy it? Or is it something that you want to be funded? Is this something that you, you know, you want to be garnering funds for to then go back and make impact? And so you have to know what your goal is on the on on the onset before um, I think taking on, taking it on because it, it can be difficult to run. For sure. Well, and I think to that too, it's, um, you know, I actually just got, I got the sweetest DM from someone like a week ago that was who just discovered the show and they were so excited because they, they're getting ready to, to file their, their 501c3 application. And I'm mm-hmm. part of the message from this person said, because uh, if you listen to my first episode where I talk about the founding story of Operational Loan was, was July of last year. And I mentioned that we were like an, an uncompensated team. Um, so we really followed the 100% model also, which was very easy to do because, you know, we're an, we've always been like an all remote team. Like we've never mm-hmm. had to do rent or utilities or, or whatever so like that. It's a little bit lower. Yeah, it's super <laughs> low. And they were like, I'm so excited because I've always wanted to do like this 100% like thing. And I never heard of nonprofits like doing it. And so you did. And I was like, okay. And I was like, your, your heart behind that idea is super like noble and wonderful. And right, right. Thanks. Yeah. I was like, you can either pull a charity water and set up two bank accounts and do two sets of fundraising. So you have an overhead account and a mission account, but that's mm-hmm. twice the fundraising. And obviously right. that account is so much harder to like fundraise for because <laughs> you're asking Absolutely. people to directly just cover your overhead. Yeah. And or, and I said, I was like, you know, I was like, you can do that. And I was like, and just know that then like the organization will always be small because you will always need a full-time job to pay your rent and your food and your gas and like whatever. And I was like, so it'll always kind of be small potatoes, which is like, it's a growing pain that for operation, not alone, like we are in the thick of it right now. But I was like, and I was like, but those are your options. And they came back and they're like, oh, <laughs> and I was like, it's noble. It's wonderful. I was like, your heart is in the right place. But you still like, have to live. Like, yeah, I was I like, you still got to forget. Yeah. And, I, and that's what's like, people, I see people starting nonprofits, like they start businesses. And that's where I will say it differs because it's not this easy thing to just put out a product or a service. And then people just start, mm-hmm. you know, paying, paying you, you're funded by the public, you know? And so there's a lot that you have to put behind that as far as like your mission and your impact and being able to quantify that and then get into a point where, you know, you're making enough as funding wise to support the mission. Mm-hmm. And then also support the overhead, right? That's because right. technically it's two different things. And so, um, yes, it's cool to be passionate, but you also have to weigh the risk of staying small, right? Mm-hmm. Or, and going that route of like kind of being like just volunteers or uncompensated, like then you're going to need a job. <laughs> like, right. You know? Yeah. I was like, this will always be your part-time thing, which will take a backseat to your full-time thing. Um, total right. side tangent. But so my last, <laughs> ma- my last, last question, I swear, I, I've said that 12 times. You already. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay. Is um, so, okay. Again, for that, that small organization, the one who's just starting, and I can also very well test to this. You are all the things <laughs> you are every role when you're starting it. At what point, like, do you think that there's ever one really significant like turning point for an organization when they are growing to say like okay it's officially time for an accountant or a Mm -hmm. bookkeeper or or another person so that you're not the only one diving into the finances every month Mm -hmm. and taking care of it because it's a cumbersome task 
Yeah, so there's, there's two turning points. The first one being when you get to the point where you're bringing in funding and you are no longer able to keep up with consistently managing the day-to-day -day operations the day-to-day -day accounting operations, it's time to, at the very least, bring in a bookkeeper. And that doesn't have to be a full-time person. It could be someone that just comes in monthly, right, to do those set tasks. Um, the, the second one is once you hit the threshold of being audited, you absolutely need to have a dedicated financial um, leader, whether it's a bookkeeper, um, a controller, um, or a team, you know, that's it's going to depend on the, the size of your organization. But um, but once you start to get to the point where you have to be audited, you absolutely like you absolutely need the, the support of an accountant. <laughs> and what is that threshold of? So that threshold is going to vary by state, um, but it could be anywhere from 500,000 and higher. OK, and I don't actually know this. What state are you in? <laughs> I'm in New York. <laughs> You're in New York. Okay. It's like, I, I never actually asked where you were located. So. No, no, no. It's fine. Yeah, I'm in New York. And, um, and oddly enough, I'm trying to, I think I only have one client that doesn't get audited. Um, okay. But oddly, so funny enough, prime example, but they are at the point to where, you know, the, the very small team that they do have is so engrossed in the day-to-day -day of running the organization, running the programs, that keeping up with the day-to-day -day bookkeeping was just something that they just could not do. But as an organization, at the very least, you still have to remain compliant, right? And so you still need to make sure that you are keeping your books accurate mm -hmm. and closing timely. And so, um, you know, they brought me on to, to keep up with that so that at the very least, you know, someone was looking at these things on a monthly basis. Right. For sure. I can't thank you enough for doing this interview. I, this was, I think honestly, and I, I've loved every interview and every episode we put out, but this was such a, like a really content dense, like, I hope people had a notebook <laughs> like kind of episode. Um, so tactical, so wonderful. And, and the thing is too, like we, as we know, the financial part of, of these organizations is never fun, is never mm -hmm, exciting. Mm -hmm. And is usually pretty anxiety inducing. So I yeah. thank you for making it feel <laughs> a little easier, a little lighter, something people shouldn't be afraid of. Um, I thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for yeah sharing and letting me ask you like just one more question. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> no worries. This was a great conversation. Like I really tried to be to make it not so uh, you know structured and like so mm -hmm. you know because I know that accounting is like not sexy. People don't want to talk about it, but. Yeah. I always say like the same way you care about the mission, you need to care about the money. And so, um, so I try to make it, you know, digest easy, easily digestible information and things like that. So that, you know, mm -hmm. people don't, people aren't just sitting out here uninformed. <laughs> right. Now this was so great. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Thank again you so, so much. Here. Oh, you are the best. So thank you so much. Also, I just want to make sure everyone knows where to find you, how to connect with you. Definitely head over on Instagram at the visionary accountant. Because uh, you not only post like, obviously, like really fun stuff and cute pictures, but it's like really good content. Um, I know that you are on Clubhouse, so people can also find you there and join into a room. But uh, there's a lot of amazing content and just free knowledge that's hanging out on there through IGTV, through your stories, through through whatever. So people can definitely connect with you on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on all the things at your website with The Visionary Accountant and get a lot of really good, a, a lot of good insight and keep working with you from here on out.
And thank you so much, sweet listeners, for sticking around to the end of the episode to hear our second nonprofit spotlight of the week. Uh, because honestly, I just I just biffed it last week and I totally forgot as I was uh, recording the What Success Means to Me episode. So sorry about that. But this week's nonprofit spotlight is going to be How About Hope, which stands for Helping Others and Providing Encouragement. It's a nonprofit that raises mental health and suicide awareness based out of Iowa. Also, super fun fact, if you are a little... Uh, familiar with the organization. If you're a big fan of the show, you probably are and and have heard about it because Michaela Hugh Shaw, who is their founder, was both a guest on the podcast to really just talk about her experience as a nonprofit founder and particularly with a lot of the civil unrest that's been going on in the Black community. And we talked about like Black Lives Matter and had really impactful conversations also just about what it means to really tackle a mental health nonprofit that just is like really heavy conversations all the time. And that's back in episode 25. And then she also was such an angel. And she helped us out with the Train Like a Warrior campaign with Operation Alone. She also did a how to define self-care for yourself. And that is both on the podcast, which we streamed as a bonus for episode 36. And it's also on the Operation Alone YouTube channel. So you can go anywhere and check those out. Oh, it's also on the Operation Alone IGTV. So make sure that you check that out. It's really great. And she provides some awesome insights as to how you can really uh, switch up your self-care game and make it better suited for you. That's not just like throwing in a bath bomb and uh, putting on a face mask and calling it a day. So really fantastic organization. Again, based out of Iowa, but that's not the only place that they offer help. If you go to any of their social media channels or their website, again, all How About Hope, uh, really great resources for people, especially those who might be struggling, who might be feeling a little alone in their mental health uh, space. And so I think that they do amazing work. Um, Obviously, anyone is welcome and in their organization. And and if that's a resource that you need, or honestly, even if it's just, I really like following a lot of different social accounts that talk about mental health, maybe like therapy tips, things like that, just because I find that they pop up on my timeline. Usually when I need those little reminders the most, I think it's great content to always just be filling your feed with so that it's much more positive than what a lot of people are filling their feeds with, which I find um, endlessly great for, yeah, just for our mental health. But also there's so many reminders on there that I even read, whether it's in the form of a meme or just a graphic or whatever. And I'm like, oh, cool. I'm like, I'm not alone in thinking this or feeling this, or I'm just not the only one even who's had this like weird thought. So definitely give them a follow, show them some love and support. And if you know anyone who could be really in need of their services, even if it's just you yourself, definitely reach out to How About Hope. And of course, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.